Wow, wow, wow. Thank you so much, Miss Julia and choir and praise team. And we want to dismiss our children's to children's church. And uh, as they're leaving, I want you to do me a favor. Right where you are, I want you to pray and say, God, speak to me today. Just right where you are, right? Just, Lord, speak to me today. As we think about what it means to be trapped in bondage, what it means to be tied down, what it means to have either something physically, mentally, spiritually wrong with you, that, that you're, you're being tied down. As we process through that this morning, I, I want you to think, how many times have you walked by somebody asking for money? How many times have you walked by, maybe if you work downtown, this happens all the time. Um, but it happens here too, in, in, right in Pinson. Um, you'll be in a place and make, hey, hey, can you got you got cash? Well, I I struggle, and here's why. I'm just being transparent with you this morning. When people come by begging and, and asking, I, my first thought, and it's, it's probably your thought too. If I give them this money, they're going to go buy drugs, alcohol, whatever. You know, they're asking for money for food but they probably won't spend the money on food. Or I'm thinking, they're really not homeless or helpless. You know, they're, they're well-shaved, you know, driving a truck nicer than I am that's parked around the corner. Like, those are my fears that I'm going to be taken advantage of and things like that. But when is it our responsibility to judge the beggar? When is it our responsibility to judge someone in need and question their motives? Jesus has always commanded the church, always, to be about the business of those in need. To be about the business of the widows and the orphans and those who can't help themselves. Today, in Acts chapter 3, if you have your copy of God's Word, go with me there. In Acts chapter 3, um, we get to see this unique story. So Acts chapter 3 picks up, right? And Jesus ascended in chapter 1 of Acts. He goes back to the Father, but before he leaves, he tells them, I am fired up to go. And it wasn't because he was done. It wasn't because he hated the place. He said, I'm fired up to go away because I'm going to send you someone. I'm going to send you a, a helper, a helpmate that's going to be good for you. And he tells the disciples, you're going to do greater things than even I did. Now, I imagine that when they heard that, when they heard that they were going to be empowered to do even greater things than Jesus, that they probably met that statement with a little bit of passivity. They probably met that, that discussion with a little bit of, ah, Jesus, you got up from the dead, okay? I don't know what I'm bringing to the table that's going to do anything like that. Jesus, you raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus, you walked on water. Jesus, you healed people. You brought several people who were pronounced dead, dead, back to life. And now all of a sudden, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So chapter 2 of Acts happens, and something crazy. Peter is preaching in Pentecost, and something happens that we've never experienced before. It was what Jesus told them about in Acts chapter 1, but they weren't ready. He's preaching. The Holy Spirit fell. Thousands of people were added to the church that day. The church was created that day. Thousands of people gave their heart and life to Jesus Christ and declared Him Lord. So the disciples who were left, right, the disciples who were left are reeling. I mean, they don't, they don't really fathom what's going on. It's all kind of crazy. 
Jesus ascended and, and now this Holy Spirit thing's here and, and every time Peter gets up to preach or every time one of the disciples gets up to preach, people are just getting saved. People are going crazy because they're hearing a gospel that they've never heard before. They're hearing freedom that they've never heard before. They're hearing good news and the good news of the gospel is not that you and I can be in relationship with Christ. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ wants you. So they're hearing this message for the very first time, and it's just killing them. They're just falling at the face of the cross, and they're giving their lives to him. And they're, the disciples, just, they don't even know what to do. They weren't, they weren't ready. It would be the same thing if, if we had thousands of people walking today say, we want to get saved. We wouldn't even know, we wouldn't even know what to do. We would, oh, okay, come down. We, we don't have Sunday school. We don't have parking. Louie's going to lose his mind in the parking lot this afternoon. And, and well, we wouldn't even know what to do. So that's the backdrop to where our story picks up today. Acts chapter 3. It says, Now Peter and John were going into the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried out, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask for alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Verse 6 says, But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and he began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping, praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus you would use this text to bring life to your people. God, I pray you would empty my heart, my mind, and my conscience of me and fill it with you. Lord, we pray for an outpouring of your grace and your Holy Spirit here that we will know you better, that we will respond to your calling, and that we will worship you like we've been changed. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. There's some interesting things that happen in this text. And you've got to kind of look at the nuances and kind of look at the detail of what's happening to, to get the reality of the moment. They're, they're walking through and, and the disciples are just befuddled over what's going on in their day and, and the people getting saved. And, and it's an exciting time where they're, they're realizing that they're more, they're made for more. And, and they're realizing that what Jesus said he meant when he said, you'll do great things. And, and people are being transformed by the good news of the gospel. And they, they get to this place and now they're walking and now there's this homeless man sitting there. He's, he's deformed and he's been that way his whole life. His whole life. Now, in the Jewish culture... If a man was born lame, woman, man, born lame, it was seen that it was a sin problem of the parents. Now, Jesus would, Jesus would debunk that because Jesus would say some people are born lame and some people are born with handicaps so that God can show his mercy, so that God can show his grace, so that God can show his people his power. But we have this guy, and it says that he, in the ninth hour that he comes, 
on the ninth hour that he comes. Um, we, we first notice he can't get there by himself. He has to have help. So he's all alone, and so he, he has some good friends. You've got, listen, if you've got friends who will pick you up on a mat, I'm not talking about throwing you in a, in a rolling chair. They didn't, have, they didn't have wheelchairs yet. I'm not talking about throwing you on a cart. They picked this brother up on a mat. They walked him to the temple gate in the ninth hour. Now, what's unique about that is the ninth hour was the very last hour of prayer. The ninth hour was the very last prayer. Um, the Jews in this time of era would have three times throughout the day that they would open the temple for prayer. This is the very last one of them. So it's not like he got out there early. For some reason, he waited to the very end of the day. The Jewish system today is still built this way. Um, the Jewish system has three pillars of worship that a worshiper must exercise. The number one is the law. They follow the law of God. The Torah is in your Old Testament, the first five books. They follow that. But then they have temple worship. And this guy positions himself at the temple so that he sees every Jewish person walking into the temple and the third pillar and where he's going to take advantage of the people of God is that the third pillar of Judaism is that they give to the needy. So this guy has positioned himself to where he can take advantage of God's people who have just had a worship experience. Now it's in the ninth hour, so it's late in the day and they have they probably went to work on their way home from work they stopped by the temple to worship the Lord what would it be like if you had a daily worship that's a different sermon um, they went to the temple and on their way out here sets this guy begging for alms alms he's asking for money and you can just imagine the situation he's sitting there right outside the gate probably propped up against the gate wall and he's saying, all he is saying is alms, alms, alms. Oh, he's, he's begging, asking for money because he believes the lie that the culture has told him that he's helpless and hopeless. He believed the lie of what the culture had told him. His timing is perfect. His plot is unique because his plot, he believes, he believes that there's nothing good coming from his life. He's sitting here by this, by this wall, and he's, he's hoping, begging, counting on the people of God to meet needs for him because he thinks he's unqualified. He thinks based off the tradition, not the, not the law of God. He thinks based off the tradition of the Jews that he is unworthy. He thinks... He's broken. And people have probably walked along his life and enabled him throughout the times. He was, I just imagine, I, I'm speaking here where the Bible has it. I just imagine that as this boy grew up, because at one time he was a boy, and then people would go, bless your heart. Bless, you know, they're probably from Alabama, right? Bless, bless his heart. Bless that boy's soul. And they, they've come along and they, they've helped him and they've always been giving him hands that hand out. And, and, and what he somewhere along the way realized is that, you know, I don't have to hit a lick at nothing. I can just stand here and let my handicap provide me a way for a living. He, he bought into the lie that he couldn't get a job. He bought into the lie that there was no healing for him. He bought into the lie that he was just a just lowest tier of society, that he was just really nothing, and that people would feel sorry for him, and that they would give to him. He had some good friends who took care of him, but beyond that, this guy would have led a, a pretty empty life, sitting there at the gate, 
begging. Peter and John come on the scene. And they, remember, they're, they're befuddled. They don't really realize what's going on. They, every time they speak, people are getting saved. They're walking up, and they come across this guy who is sitting by the gate screaming for money. He's sitting by the gate screaming for money, hoping that he can somehow attach people to himself. And, he, and, and you've seen this, and, and like the game hasn't changed a whole lot since the first century. Um, he's trying to make eye contact with people as he's crying out for money and he's begging, alms, alms, alms. Well, what he didn't know was that two disciples of Jesus were coming to the temple. Now, they didn't have two coins to, to rub together to make a sound, but they came and he, he, he encourages them and he embraces them. He says, alms, alms. And, and it says something in the text. It says, and Peter... And Peter turned his attention. I imagine Peter and John were talking. They were like, what in the world's going on? When we speak, God moves and people are, are accepting Jesus and people are repenting and, and people are, are changing everything about it. It says Peter directed his gaze at him and John did too. And, and Peter says, look at us. Look at us. This guy's sitting there begging, and I, and I just imagine inside of Peter and John's heart, maybe, maybe this, we, we've got to see, we, we've got to see if we can't, we watched Jesus do this, we watched Jesus heal people, we've seen his power, we've seen him work before, we, we've seen that in the name of Jesus, tendons and muscles can be reconnected and reestablished, so, so they, they, they know this can work, so they, they look at him and they say, hey, look at us. The man turns his attention to them. And Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He says, what I do have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. What does it say next? Rise up and walk. It's an exclamation point there. When you read the Bible, you got to read them. Rise up and walk. Now, this guy hears this and, and probably thinks, who are these two? Been like this my whole life. Been like this my whole life. You don't think I've tried to walk? You don't think I've tried to take a step? You don't think I've tried to do something? But Peter and John displayed amazing faith. Because not only did Peter tell him, hey, we ain't got no money. Brother, if you wait on us to buy you a biscuit, you're in trouble. We don't have no money. But in the name of Jesus, get up. And Peter went further. He went further. He didn't just declare that God's going to do something. He believed that when he declared it, God was going to move it because he reached out his right hand and he grabbed the man. He reached out his right hand and he grabbed the man and he was going to pull him up. Now this took incredible faith because if it didn't work, they were going to be in a bind. If it didn't work, they were going to be in a mess. And Peter reached out his hand and as he grabbed him, it says the man stood and leaped. And leaped. Now, if you hadn't ever stood before, you probably don't have the muscle memory to leap. But when God healed this man, he didn't just barely heal him. He didn't just almost heal him. God healed him, and he went from never taking a step to the man is leaping. Leaping. They've experienced the fullness of that. If I'm Peter and John here, I'm just, what? What just happened? Yeah, I, I was... I was bound. I had no, I, we had no money. We just, we just knew that there's power in Jesus. We just knew that, that if we trusted in Jesus, he would do something here. And now this man is leaping. But what they offered him was more than healing. 
What they offered him was more than healing. We get caught up and go, oh, that's cool. Jesus, Jesus healed his physical ailments. He did, but it's more than that. Under the Jewish law, this man being a handicap was seen unclean. This man not one time had ever been in the temple to worship. Not one time has this man been allowed in the gate to worship God Almighty, to worship, to worship the King of kings and Lord of Not one time has he been able to declare his, his love and affection for God because of his state. And so he, he is freeing him from physical bondage and he is freeing him to spiritual bondage. He's saying, you're no longer going to have this handicap. You're no longer going to be called the lame one. You're no longer going to be the one with the problem. You've been set free by Jesus, and you've been set free to Jesus. What does it mean for us to be set free to Jesus? When we're set free to Jesus, we don't have to worry, and we don't have to fear over our spiritual plight any longer. When you've been set free in Jesus, my friend, you've been set free indeed. The Bible says that when you've been set free in Jesus, you have freedom. You're called a child of God. No matter what your upbringing was like, no matter how you were raised, you were a child of God, and at salvation, you got a new name. You're a child of God, and at salvation, boy, that should have, somebody should have got excited right there. You're a child of God. You've got a new name. You're no longer the same. You've been redeemed. You've been set free. You are now allowed to call God of heaven God of the universe, Dad. You're allowed to call him Father. You're allowed to call him King Jehovah. And when you read Galatians, it says we've been adopted. God's called you son and daughter. Called you son and daughter. You've been freed to spiritual bondage. He sets him up. And for the first time, this man is free to worship. This man's free to worship. When you, when you keep reading in the text, you realize he, he got up, he's leaping. He's leaping. He's never walked before, but now he's leaping. And, and listen, his first activity isn't to go play travel ball. His first activity wasn't, let me run down to the store, I need some milk. His first activity wasn't, oh, I've, I've got some legs now, I'm going to get in the games. And Roman's about to do some games. The Olympics are coming. I got to train. It wasn't let me go show off to people. Like he wasn't doing that healed strut. That is not what he was doing. It says that, that when he was healed, he got up and he leaped and then he went into the temple. And I just imagine, friends, I just imagine him. Oh, you couldn't have, you couldn't have dimmed that smile with a spotlight. I'm telling you, he's walking in and he's never been in the gates. He's never been, in, he's never been past the door. And he's walking. I'm, I'm just telling you, you can see it. You can't every one of his teeth. He walks in. He's never been there before. They've never let him in because of his plight. And he's walking in. He is now free to worship. He's now free to praise God for his faithfulness. He gets to walk into a place and he gets to make offerings. He gets to walk into a place. And, and listen, it's a place that we take for granted. He wasn't just going to church. When you've had this type of God movement in your life, you don't just walk into the church. He walks in and he experiences the fullness of worship. 
He realized who he was. He realized before God did a work in his life that he was helpless. He was hopeless. There was no help for him. And this was going to be his plight the rest of his life. He was going to be a beggar. He was going to be a homeless. And as he got older, it was going to get harder. It was going to get worse for him. Jesus stepped in and did a God-sized miracle in his life. And it freed him to worship, but it freed him to salvation. It freed him to salvation. This man had never gotten to experience this before, but it's only when, it was only when he displayed the faith in Christ, when, when Peter and James said, get up and walk, and they reached for his hand, and those tendons in his legs started working. That muscle got instantly stronger. He didn't have to go to the gym. He didn't say this guy went and worked out and then decided to be healthy. As it instantaneously healed at the power in the name of Jesus, this brother was able to go worship and was able to be a believer in Jesus Christ. He was freed from his bondage because he trusted that the message that Peter and John declared, that there was power there to save him. There was power there to save him. He trusted that the God they declared about, that Jesus of Nazareth was going to be able. He trusted. Now you say, well, Jeff, he, he was hopeless. He didn't really have any other choice. And besides, we don't know if he hadn't reached his hand up. We don't know that, that Peter wouldn't have jerked him up anyway. And you're right. We don't know that. You know, sometimes God will take you to the very bottom or allow you to get to the very bottom. He doesn't normally take us there. We get there pretty well on our own. And at the very bottom, we typically see the fullness of God's glory. We get to the very point of brokenness. We get to the very point of where we are fully relying on God to do what he said he's going to do. And I've found in my own spiritual walk that it's in those dark places that God reveals himself the best. In those places when I'm like, I don't, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know what this is going to look like. And this happened recently in my life. We, this, this merger thing, but there's a lot of tears and, and pressure going in. We don't, man, what if this thing don't work? And there's still that. What if, what if this thing, what if this thing don't work? There's still moments of doubt. And there's still those places where I, where I don't believe that God's going to work. And I, and I fear that he's not. And, and every time that we've asked God to do something, and we've prayed in his will, we've prayed in his spirit, and he's granted it to us, he's faithful. He's faithful. That doesn't stop me from doubting almost every time I come up to a trial. But what we see time in and time out is that God is faithful and God is ready today to release you from your bondage. God is ready to release you from your bondage. Today your bondage may not be that you can't rise up and walk. Maybe your bondage is a mental issue. Maybe you don't think you're very worthy today. Maybe your bondage isn't even that. Maybe you've got a sin that's been shackling you and you can't get free from it. Listen, can, I, can we just be real today? We have in church. You cannot be all God's called you to be if you're swimming and stuck in sin. You can't be used for his glory. You can't be used for his faithfulness because you are drowning in your sin. Today, God's saying, I want to set you free from that. 
I want to set you free from that, that bondage. And listen, that bondage that we're swimming in, most of us got, it, got us there all on our own. Satan's not near as busy as we give Satan credit for. We can get in a bad spot on our, by ourselves pretty quick. God said, I'm ready to set you free today. He said, I, I did it for this lame beggar in the New Testament. And I'm ready to do it for you. Today, what would it take for you to say to the Lord, Lord, I'm ready. I know you're powerful. Lord, I've seen in your word where you've, you've healed. What would it take for you to get serious about Jesus? Release those chains that either you've put on or Satan has put on you. What would it take today? Because don't tell me you don't have them. Whether it's pride, addiction, the last Lifeway stat that they put out on the topic had three out of every four men in the church addicted to pornography. And women, before you look at the men disgustingly, over half the women, over 50% of women are now engaged in, in the same stance. Our teenagers see this all the time. What would it take for you to say, you know what? Those shackles are coming off. What would it take for you, whatever the sin is, to say, you know what, I'm done with that? Maybe today you need to pray that God would remove the chains, that God would remove the restrictions, and that God would do something in your heart that would make you leap. That God would do something in your heart that spiritually you would leap. Don't walk through this life being shackled. When Jesus, the Son of Man, is saying, I've come to set you free. Let's pray. Father, we pray in the power of Jesus and the power of the resurrection for these people today who are here and, and God, I know, I know because I'm in the same culture, I'm in the same fight that, that there are sins in our life, there are issues in our life, there are disabilities in our life that we have let shackle us, that we have let completely consume us. And, and Father, today we need to, before your face, fall and ask you to release us. God, I pray that this altar would be a place today where people could come do business with you. Father, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts. And if there's those who need to join our church, if those who need to be saved, and those who say, Lord, I can't, I'm so engulfed in sin, I know I'm not a believer, and I want to be set free from that, you would give them the boldness to step out. For those who need to surrender, for those who need repentance, that today they can come to an altar and do business with you. God, I trust that you're going to work with your people in, these, in this place. We ask it in the name of Christ and all God's people said. Will you stand and sing with us this morning?